This month, we've been exploring the topic of women's sexuality, and it's been so popular, we've decided to extend it to a second month. My guest tonight is Gina Ogden. We'll be talking about women's sexual desire. Gina has her PhD in sexology and has worked as a marriage and family therapist, also as a sex therapist, a teacher, a researcher, and an author of three books on women's sexuality, Women Who Love Sex, The Heart and Soul of Sex, and The Return of Desire. Welcome back to Safe Space, Gina. Oh, thank you, Anne. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, it was so fun last week. We had to do it again. Indeed. Um, so I want to open up by starting talking about your recent book, The Return of Desire. And, you know, the New York Times just had this big article in their magazine about women's desire. What is it? Do we understand it? Is it still a mystery? And I thought I might ask, start by asking you, how do you think about it? How, how do you lay it out in your book and sort of what's... What's the framework that you address women's desire through? Well, it's really interesting that you bring up the New York Times article because wouldn't you know that the New York Times, when it's exploring women's sexual desire and what women want, ask a man to write the article. I did notice that, yes. Yes. And actually, Dan Bergner is a very nice man, and I know him, and an intelligent man and a wonderful man. However, in the article, what I saw is that he's, he's really focusing on physical, the desire for physical sex. And he's, he's definitely going the scientific route through the Kinsey Institute. In other words, everything about um, physical sex that you might be able to count or measure yes. if you're a researcher. Yes. So... I do something very different <laughs> in my book, which is titled The Return of Desire. And I call it The Return of Desire because I believe that in our natural state, we have desire. We have desire for sexuality. We have desire for love. We have desire to reach out and connect with other people, with trees, with animals, with the earth, the sky, we are wide open when we are born, and all you have to do is look at a little baby, and you see that from the moment they wake up, they're, they're mm. playing, they're mm. exploring, their fingers are moving, their tongue is, is reaching out to taste, etc. So somewhere along the line, maybe something happens or a number of somethings happen, even in the in the healthiest, best families. I'm not even talking about the really awful stuff that can happen to us. Where we we pull back and we think it's not okay to want what we want, especially if we're a woman. Mm. So in my book basically I ask the question, desire for what? Is it intercourse? Is it heart-to-heart -heart connection? Is it uh, a feeling of freedom and oneness? What is, in other words, what, what are you looking for? And so I ask all of your listeners to begin to think in that way. And I... <clears throat> because we of, we often tend to think that when we're talking about desire, we mean intercourse. That we're That's talking right. about one very specific thing. That's right. Because right. intercourse is something that we can count and measure. How many times 
have you had intercourse in the last week or month or year? Right. And, of course, we that leaves out a lot of people and leaves everybody else trying to compare themselves to everybody else. So it's kind of a weird measure. I think we often tend to think that sex is intercourse, as if that's what sex is. Right. And and so it's all, not just maybe what we can measure, but that we have this extremely narrow definition of what sex is. Indeed. And I, I think that, it well, it's narrow for a number of reasons, but for right. one reason, riffing off the New York Times article, is that that's what sexual science basically says sex is, intercourse to to some conclusion, like orgasm. Yeah. And th- these are measurable um, in in the laboratory, and many people have measured them. But in, in my life as a sex therapist for three decades, and in my book, I, I look at desire as energy. And very specifically, I look at... I mean, I frame the notion of the return of desire as as really dependent on four specific energies. Okay. Phys- physical energy, which might include the desire for intercourse, but might include outer course as well. We have fingers and toes and ears and noses. We have all sorts of other parts of our body we can smell, we can hear. So all of that, the sensation, physical sensation, that is one energy. Another energy is emotional energy. You know, what really draws us to our partners or to ourselves? What what do we want heart-to-heart? Another energy is mental energy. What what are the messages we come in here with? We talked about this last time. Do we come in with good girls don't and real men score? Or do right. we come in with the energy of I am a goddess, I can have anything I want. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is all acts of, of pleasure are my ritual. Mm. Um, and finally, uh, spiritual energy. What is it that sex means in our lives? So what do we desire from that point of view? Do we desire uh, connection? Do we desire something that moves us beyond ourselves, etc.? Um, so this is how I am framing it. There's and, one part of it I don't understand. Yes. So when you say, I get physical sensation as something that I would desire. I get heart-to-heart connection. I get spiritual connection. The third one, when you talk about mental messages, what what is the thing I would desire in that? Is that the belief? Is that more like the belief in feeling really like the, I am a goddess, the thing you well, mentioned? Yeah, it's the kind of belief systems that drive you. And as as a sexuality therapist, I cannot tell you how many women, how many men have come into my office thinking that they are less than, that they are ugly, that they don't deserve, yada, 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 
on uh-huh. and on. So, so go ahead. No, so might a message be just the, the belief that I am desirable or the belief that I am attractive or lovable, that kind yes, of thing? Yes, and that I can. I see. Or the belief that, that my desires are not so outlandish. And maybe even good. Maybe even good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now I get it. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, so you have these four energies, and tell me more. It's how these energies interact with one another. And what, what you know, so many women will come to me and to other therapists saying, I have low desire, or more probably a, a male partner would sort of push a female partner in saying, fix her, she doesn't want sex anymore. Mm-hmm. And so instead of leaping to conclusions and and sending them off to a doctor to prescribe pills, I will ask the woman and and her partner as well to literally stand and literally in my office stand up and and speak from each of these points of view. You know, what I want or don't want mm-hmm. about physical touch or smell or sight or movement, what I want or don't want in terms of heart-to-heart connection. How does the couple reach out and literally touch touch each other's uh, moods, emotions, mm-hmm. and needs? And certainly, what are the messages that are in there driving um driving each of them Mm -hmm. and the guy may be saying and i uh, excuse me for making sort of broad generalizations about men and women but i'll do it for purposes but very typically a guy will say well i want more sex and i'll ask him what he means by that and it is intercourse because because he has grown up with the message that if he doesn't have a certain amount of intercourse, first of all, he's going to, quote, lose it. Mm-hmm. He's going to lose the ability. All right. And secondly, there's something that he proves by that. It's, it's kind of like an embedded locker room conversation yes. in there. And, and yet most men, like most women, really want a sense of total connection. They want to be able to melt into each other, into themselves, into the universe. Mm. Um, our our sexuality is one of the ways, one of the few ways in this culture, where legally anyway, we can move beyond the boundaries of the culture and um, and feel that sense of connection with God or goddess or nature. What, whatever is important to you, and mm-hmm. certainly with one another. So you're saying, in a way, that this male focus on intercourse it may even be a tyranny for them, too, that what they want is is deeper than that, finally. Totally. And, uh-huh. and so the, the, both members of the couple are sort of suffering under this pressure. That's right. They're, they're suffering under the message that uh, healthy Americans have sex, quote-unquote, 2.2 times a week or whatever. Right. And if that, you know, if if you don't fit that model, then you feel 
as if you're not normal. Yes. And if you're not normal, then you're dysfunctional, and you have to go to somebody to get fixed because, God forbid, you could, you could think of, of changing the rules that say what normal is. So in other words, someone, a couple could come to you for help, and they could leave not having any more frequent intercourse than what they came in for, what they could leave feeling validated that the way they do experience connection is, is good, and that gets to count, and they don't have to fit into someone else's model of what is sex. Exactly. Even if it's something, you know, I don't even know what comes to mind, but if, even, if it was something that wasn't even genital, but it made them feel deeply satisfied, pleasure, you know, connected, heart-to-heart, it was a spiritual experience, that could be good. Exactly. One, uh-huh. of, one of the first couples I ever saw, this was way back, came in and, you know, were looking, you know, sort of wringing their handkerchiefs in their chairs saying, oh, she's dysfunctional. She can't come to orgasm. Well, after about 10 minutes of questioning, it was obvious that she could come to orgasm on masturbation. She could come to orgasm hanging from the chandelier. She was highly orgasmic, but she did not happen to come to orgasm on the intercourse, which is what they had read was normal. Mm -hmm. And when we'd been able to reframe it, I mean, this couple danced out of the out of my office holding hands. I never saw them again. <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? Except for a sweet note saying, yay. Yes, so it really is a tyranny for people. It is. And yeah. and I'm I'm not discounting uh, couples who, who may be having some very real problems that aren't simply solved. But my first, my first, way of going about the problem is to is to broaden the definitions of sex yes. and see see where they might fit themselves and see how how they not not how i quote diagnose them but how they feel about themselves mm-hmm. and and how they feel about themselves in comparison, especially with what they actually want. I mean, it sounds like whether they even give themselves permission to to feel good about what they want, to right. celebrate that. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, this is particularly, particularly valid for women because too many women in this culture just grow up with this just say no message mm-hmm. and that it's not okay to ask for what you want don't make noise. Don't be shrill. Um, mm-hmm. Don't be. Don't be too sexy. Mm-hmm. I wrote um, a book called "Women Who Love Sex" because in that book I was really trying to reframe what, what it is that women want in their sexual relationship. Yes. And tell us, what did you find out? Well, I found out that they want everything from eye contact and kissing and attention to making love on the hood of a car Hmm. and and if you say the phrase women who love sex that can be very scary 
to some people. I'm sure the title alone was daunting. This is this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space, and I'm interviewing Gina Ogden about women's sexual desire. So I want to I want to shift gears a little and ask you. You know, there is this cultural sense, I think, that there's almost an epidemic of women with low sexual desire. That's right. And it's it's sort of almost a given. I just saw this wonderful, wonderful play in Portland this weekend called The Passion of the Housefrau, which is showing at the Portland stage about a mom. And in this story, you know, there's this frequent, and her her husband shows up many times throughout, and basically every time he shows up, he's asking for sex. (laughs) And, And there's much humor in the play about how her desire level is so low. And um, so I want to ask you, from your perspective, how much of a problem is low sexual desire among women? Is is it as prevalent as we're all led to believe? And how do you even think about that? You know, who knows is the the answer. Science, I mean, let's take it from various points of view. Science says that 43% of women are dysfunctional, that that we Mm. lack desire. And that's based on a rather small sample of women asking them questions about how many times do you have intercourse? I see. Exactly so, the same thing. Right. Right. And is, there's some number, which I don't know off the top of my head, of women who never have orgasm from intercourse anyway. Yes, so that asking true. them if their desire is related to something that doesn't give them the most pleasure to begin with exactly. is already very skewed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, some women, I think, lack desire because they're partners don't know how to make love to them or they come home asking for sex or asking for it and the two of them i'm not this is not a um, man trashing um moment but the the two of them are locked into the belief system that this is the only way to do it yeah some women lack desire because they're too tired They've mm-hmm. just had a baby. They're yeah. working two jobs and doing the housework. For some women, the sexiest thing their partner can say is, I'll do the dishes tonight. Yes. I remember uh, a friend of mine saying, if my partner just noticed that our child needed new socks, I'd give him sex on the spot. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So um, I, I call this the Kama Sutra of housework. Yes. That... Really, that, and what I found in my survey of almost 4,000 people who I surveyed around sexuality and spirituality, asking them the kinds of questions you can't count and measure, um, how does sex feel and what does it mean in your life, most of them, almost all of them, said that the that what really moved them what was most important is the sharing of deep feelings, that that was so important in bringing them together. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you can share deep feelings in bed, out of bed, um, and it's important to remember that sex doesn't start the minute you lock the bedroom door and kick off your sock. Right, exactly. Well, I have a question because I know that there's this book that's making a lot of the rounds right now by Esther Perel uh, about mating in captivity. She, as I've only glanced at the book, but my understanding is that her argument is that domesticity and kind of regularness is the opposite of erotic vitality and that 
it used to be thought that people, if they could just be taught how to talk better to each other and get closer and closer emotionally, then good sex would follow. And she has this argument that, no, actually, you need to introduce mystery and otherness and disconnection to have erotic vitality. Is, now, is that... A, do you know if that's what she's saying, and B, how that seems so different than what you're saying? Well, it is different, and it isn't different. Esther and I actually have done co-therapy together, and uh-huh. we are very much fans of one another. Great. Um, I think when I'm talking about sharing deep feelings, I'm not talking about, um, did you fold the laundry, dear? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about <laughs> really opening your heart, and that is taking a risk. That is moving me into the mysteries. Uh-huh, okay. Um, so, but at an emotional level. So there's, there's the kind of domestic emotional closeness, which is really, really sweet. And probably, <clears throat> Esther is right, most of the times, that does not lead to hot sex where you just want to tear down cement walls to get to each other. Right. Because it's very comfortable. That's safe space <laughs> in in the in the sense of of what we're talking now. Uh-huh. Of the the space that we're talking in now. It's safe. But when you are taking risks with one another emotionally as as well as physically, uh mentally, when you're turning each other on, um is is, I believe, what Esther yeah. is yes, talking Yes, it's a about. wonderful reframe of that idea, so that if you're, if you're taking risks with each other, you get to experience that thrill, that danger, that sort of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. The, that edgy, adds to the, the edginess. Yes, the edginess yeah. of it. That's wonderful to know, because I know that so many people feel, I've been with my partner for years and years and years, I'm exhausted, we're doing the same thing, they're, they're bored. Of That's her. right. And, and so... It may be that having a good sex life is connected to them taking more emotional risks with each other. Yeah. It's like, what, what, have, what have you done in the last 24 hours that's been really exciting? Yeah. Well, I folded the laundry. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. I drove the kids to school. Yeah. Or whatever and, it is. And there's this, there's this sort of notion in the land that, that in the first place, we bring up our kids not to have sex until they're a certain age or until they're married even. And then suddenly this deus ex machina is supposed to drop from the heavens and they're supposed to turn on and, and be, a, be a married couple. Well, it's the same thing as we get older. We're, we're supposed to keep having the same old sex when maybe your husband can't get it up anymore and maybe after menopause a woman's vagina is is it doesn't feel so great anymore so mm-hmm. we, it's it's important to be inventive and it's important and i think after perel would agree with me here it's important to broaden the definitions of what sex is and understand that it is about energy, excitement, turning yourself on to life, turning your partner on to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether you do it in kind of a traditionally uh, seductive way with a, with a slit skirt and high heels, or whether you do it because 
because your research is so exciting that the two of you just get incredibly turned on talking about ideas or talking or being in an emotional space that is very exciting. Yes. You know, one of the other thoughts that I read, you know, that you hear about all the time is the importance about being desired. When you talk about turning the other person on, people really wonder about with, you know, for women, how important is that feeling of being desirable? Oh, yeah. To their own arousal. And how do they know? How do we know we're desirable? We know we're desirable when our partner makes eye contact with us, when our partner really notices who we are, uh-huh, really a- notices who we are. And this can, this can flip a, a stalemate marriage in an instant when one of them really starts to look at the other again. Uh-huh. Isn't that... Hey, that's a definite reframe, though, Gina, when you say when the other really notices who we are. That's very different than, I think, how we think about it, which is that when the, we think when the other person notices how pretty I am or how sexy I am. That's right. Very it different. They have to do that. I have, I have those dear friends who have been fighting for all of the years that I've known them, and I just <laughs> sort of, you know, am caught in the middle and try to be nice because I love them both. And she called me up a couple of months ago and said, Bob and I are so in love, we've fallen back in love. And I said, whoa, what happened? And she said, he started to notice what I do. Mm. He started to really pay attention to me and listen to me and see me and imagine what my life was like. And then I started to imagine what his life was like. And she said, we haven't been sexual for years, and the sex all of a sudden is fabulous again. Mm, how wonderful. So, What a great story. You know, I, 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 I don't know if this is the moment to say it, but I'm, I'm going to be up in Maine. This is the moment. Say Friday. it. Friday. Yeah, yes. Re- doing um, doing a, a reading, talking, discussion at uh, Maine Medical Center. It's free at 7 o'clock. Yes, at the Dana Center Auditorium. This Friday, April 3rd, Gina will be there talking about your second book, The Heart and Soul of Sex, about sexuality and spirituality. I'm going to talk actually about all three books. Oh, good, good. Because they they lead into each other. Well, I wanted to tell you, you know, as I was telling people I was doing this show this week, people were, and I said, now, if you could ask one question, what would you ask? And people were peppering me with questions, and I started to joke, well, you're going to have to pay per question. Because <laughs> it was such a, well, that'll cost you four bucks for that question. Oh. And well, so... I know that there are so many people out there who want to ask you things, Gina, and this is their chance to go this Friday to the Dana Center Auditorium and to. I, will there be a question and answer period after you've spoken? Oh, totally. Oh, good. I, I, yeah, so. I love to open it up to discussion. I, That's I will, great. I will say a few provocative things and then hope everybody jumps in. And if people want to, do you have a website, Gina, or other ways that people can access you? I do. It is GinaOgden.com. G-I-N-A. O-G-D-E-N. Wonderful. We are going to have to stop, Gina. Thank you so much for being my guest. As always, a delight. Okay. 
I'll keep in touch. Bye-bye. My thanks today to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound, to Hillary Graham for editorial assistance, Maurice Lennon for the music. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. If you want to contact me to get more information or if you have a subject you'd really like me to do a show on, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., I will be hosting Gina Rourke from the Nomia Boutique here in Portland, Maine. Coming up next, Money Talks with Allison.